Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. I'm actually recording this on the day before my birthday, and my guest has the same birthday is me i cannot even believe it i had no idea before we even scheduled the interview but you guys we're gonna have so much fun today talking about the alcoholic beverage space and this amazing company called speakeasy and on the podcast today is my new friend and same birthday as me josh jacobs man it's so great having you on the podcast Thanks for having me, Justin, my fellow Scorpio. I can't believe it. I mean, like, what are the chances? And I mean, of course, Taylor, thank you for introducing us. Taylor's listening in. You guys heard Taylor on one of the early podcasts, um, and uh, she's back listening with us today. So anyway, uh, Josh, it's great having you here. I mean, we have a lot of things in common. Like, we have an analytics background also, which is a little crazy. I mean, like, this is so fun. Um, so let me ask you this. So I, I don't. not everyone on our podcast will know what Speakeasy is, and we'll get there in a minute. But how about the... Share some of your background in the whole analytics and tech space, and then how you decided to get into starting your own business. Absolutely, Justin. So I'm a data scientist by trade, both education and first couple positions out of school. But I was looking for something more, and I felt really restrained in corporate America and as though I, I could challenge myself and push myself harder, I just couldn't find the right opportunity. And I was just always looking for that next idea. And it actually, I actually got my first taste of entrepreneurism in college. Oh, wow. Wake Forest, I saw, by the in, way. Yes. Go Demon Deacon. Yeah, I'm a Georgia Tech so, guy. Another thing college, we have in common, ACC. Yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And so in college, launched the first startup that we had and had really grand ambitions. And then my co-founder and I both got full-time offers, him from an investment bank, me at IBM. And the appeal of a guaranteed big paycheck was, was enough to shut down the, the first company. Sure. All right. You have to share with us, what was the, your first company? Terrible name, Six man solutions like as in uh, basketball being the sixth man and it. the premise was there was incredible talent at universities around the country and for us at wake forest and great talent pool so we wanted to be a staffing agency not your traditional internship where you kind of get plugged in you don't really jive that much value but looking for the more technical roles, wow. financing, accounting, maybe running some bookkeeping, data scientists like myself, running some models and looking at data and trying to drive value for these companies at a really affordable rate. Wow. I love that. Well, okay. And so I'm taking a little bit of a, a sideways turn here just for a moment. We've actually covered analytics on a couple of our previous podcasts, but um, you mentioned the role of a data scientist and many of our listeners aren't in the analytics space like you and I are. Um, share with our listeners though, just a bit about what that job is and what it entails. A data scientist is looking to leverage data to make data-driven decisions. And the easiest way to think about it might be providing an example. 
So the last company I worked at, the data scientists were building credit models. So they were looking at all of the credit data associated with consumers and trying to evaluate the likelihood that they'd be able to pay back a loan or be able to pay off the credit card. And so you can think of consume, uh, companies like FICO. We actually worked at a competitor to FICO that were building models. And so it's all about the leveraging the incredible data assets that exist, some of the scary data assets that exist and rich resources like Facebook and other places and trying to build analytical models to, to make smarter decisions. I love that. And, you know, public service announcement, if you are about to go to college and, and you love numbers, you know, get your degree in the mathematics, in the engineering space, because you will have a career for, I'll say, ever. Um, or if you have kids that are really mathematically oriented and love numbers, I mean, just a great area to dive into. And yeah, one of the career opportunities in analytics is this whole role of data scientists, which we could spend a whole podcast on. But I will park that to the side just for a moment. So here you are, the analytics guy. You started a big, I mean, you know, blue chip company out of, out of Wake Forest. You're actually at another big tech company right before starting Speakeasy. So how do you decide to go from, you know, I don't want to say the guaranteed big company thing, but to starting this own, your own business and why in this space? Maybe I'm crazy, but it <laughs> seemed it. like a great hobby at the time. And it, it was never something I was ready to just jump in head first, be full time, not have a full time salary. So I was looking for a fun idea, something to do nights and weekends around my full time job. And I had launched actually a couple different startups after college. Uh, before Speakeasy, some of which actually were able to pick up some momentum, others that did not. And how Speakeasy started was back in 2015 during the rise of the subscription boxes. Absolutely. Are you familiar, Justin? Oh, with very Blue much. Blue Apron so. and Birch like Blue Box? Ranger. Yeah, I actually saw that you based your company on on that experience, right? Yeah. So Blue Apron, just so everyone knows, they take something as overwhelming as whipping up a gourmet meal at home and really simplify it and democratize it, sending you all the ingredients and simple instructions. And then Birchbox, they take something as expensive as sampling beauty products and make it very approachable. And what we really loved about Birchbox was this whole idea of sample to full size. You get these little samples, you like it, then you buy the full size. And we thought that this was an awesome element of Birchbox, having this full e-commerce component and an e-commerce store. So Justin, we were looking for the intersection of Blue Apron and Birchbox. I love that. For those who don't know Speakeasy, integrated direct-to-consumer solutions for beverage alcohol brands. So think uh, you know, beverage concepts around making your own cocktail, but getting it direct to you versus having to go through a distributor or a retailer and whatnot. And we'll dive into what that means, but please continue. Sure. And Justin, this is kind of a wild story. We've been on an epic journey since <gasps> 2015, about as far as you can get from an overnight sensation. <laughs> and it I started... <laughs> 
<laughs> and it started back in that 2015. So we said, what is the intersection of Blue Apron and Birchbox? And at the time in 2015, we were also seeing craft cocktails explode and become an integral facet of restaurant menus and dedicated craft cocktail bars pop up all over the place. So we said, okay, my wife and I, we don't know how to make craft cocktails. We don't know how to make anything beyond a, a tequila shot with salt <laughs> and lime. And to be honest, we rarely had the salt and lime. We talked to friends and family, and we found out virtually no one knew how to make a, anything beyond a vodka soda. So there was this clear gap in the marketplace, and there wasn't a centralized location to find this information, to purchase the ingredients and the spirits. So we, my wife and I at the time looked at her, each other and we said, this is it. I mean, what more fun space could there be than, than the alcohol industry? Totally agree. What a, a cool idea. Um, and you're right. So, I'm, I mean, I'm guilty. Like, I can make a rum and Diet Coke uh, or like a vodka and diet tonic, you know what I mean? Like I'm pretty good at that, but like if you get anything more complex, I either don't have the pieces and parts or I don't know, you know, where to get them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, it's just, I think that I'm, I don't know if I'm the normal or I'm better than normal or less than normal on the drink making side. But <laughs> if I wanted a no. craft cocktail, I'd have to go to the store and ask somebody. <laughs> You're the normal. We started doing market research. So to get the company off the ground, we really embrace the principle of if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you've launched too late. So we were just trying to launch as quickly and as most embarrassingly as possible. So we didn't know how to make any craft cocktails. So the first thing we did was go to a local craft cocktail bar in San Diego and ask the bartender to craft his favorite cocktail, which happened to be a whiskey smash. So he was slapping the mint to release the oils and the fragrance. He was then shaking it and put in the, the garnish in the proper way. So we videoed the entire experience. And then we went to the grocery store, picked up the, the alcohol, the lemon, the mint, the simple syrup, and went to friends, family, acquaintances, anyone who had let us in their home for some market research. And the first thing we learned, Justin, going back to your comment, was most people don't have the proper ingredients. So right. props to our friends. They were watching the video of the bartender and putting their ear up, trying to listen to the measurements, using spatulas to strain. And it became abundantly clear that the normal person, us laymen, had no idea how to make these cocktails at home. There was a lot of interest. It was a ton of fun. And people didn't have the ingredients. We made virtually every mistake you possibly could. But at the end of these home visits, we asked these unfortunate souls that let us in their home, would you pay 40 bucks a month for this subscription box? <laughs> and to our surprise, we got five people to say yes. And that's how Speakeasy Company was born. It was actually wow. 33 Club at the time. But we were off the ground at that point. So, okay, so how did you, okay, what made them say yes? Like, why did they decide, you know, I'm all in? Like, what was there anything like that was the trigger point? And then 
were they in for the long term? In other words, did you know they'd be you know repeat customers and whatnot? Like, how did that look at, at the very beginning? Yeah, one of the most appealing parts of a subscription company, I think that's why they blew up, is the recurring element. And that's what we were signing people up for. A lot of people just set it and forget it, they become lazy, or it becomes a habit and a ritual. And that's what we were really looking to, to find. And the, we heard from tons of consumers as we started getting off the ground that it became, hey, one night a, uh, a month, on a Friday, my wife and I or my friend and I, we would make cocktails together and catch up from the week. And it just became ingrained in, in their routines. And we're not exactly sure the, the number one reason why people wanted to subscribe outside of they just had a blast. And so sure. we were just giggling together, watching them make mistakes. And who doesn't <laughs> enjoy a cocktail? And then the fruits of their labor, you have the whole IKEA effect. Now that they've made it themselves, they're going to enjoy it even more. Yeah, no question. So uh, when did you know it was going to be something more than just a fun side hobby? In other words, was there a point when you're like, okay, I think we're going to be all in on this and really try to grow this versus it just being a kind of a fun side thing? So this launched in 2015, Justin, and I didn't jump full time until the beginning of this year in 2020. Awesome. So it's been quite a ride in between. And so we launched as a craft cocktail subscription and we went through a series of learnings, iterations, and eventually hit a point where we made the tough decision to entirely pivot from the subscription boxes to the model that exists today. And I could walk you through these series of learnings because it really helps exemplify why our solution is so revolutionary. I love it. Well, you just, that was a great segue. So I would like for you to walk us through that and, and why your approach is different and unique. And, and then we can dive into the industry after that. So I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Perfect. So we were new to the industry, our first foray into the, the drinks business. However, it was an early mission of ours to not just introduce subscribers to new cocktail recipes, but to the most important ingredient of cocktail, the spirits. So naturally, we gravitated towards partnering with craft distilleries and different craft alcohol brands. And they were the ones originally educating us on the three-tier system. And we can dive into that more. But what they were telling us is that they're really handcuffed by the regulatory environment. Exactly. They virtually have no way to sell direct to consumer. They have to sell to a middleman, the distributor, who sells to the bar, restaurant, or liquor store, the third tier where consumers purchase. And thus, our subscription box was one of the, or they, we were told that our subscription box was one of the best marketing vehicles that existed in the industry for these brands. And our, our minds were blown. <laughs> but Justin, we knew that there was something exciting there. We knew that there was an opportunity to support the craft alcohol brands. And so early on, we challenged ourselves to think of creative ways to fuel their growth. So the first thing we launched was the subscription box. And we knew ultimately we wanted to have this e-commerce component that sampled the full size. So the second step, the second iteration for the company was let's resell the full size alcohol bottle mm. on our website. You sample in this really curated experience, the 50 ml mini bottle, you make your cocktail, you like it, 
Well, now you have a place to actually purchase the full-size bottle. Got that it. was the, the next iteration. And then we said, well, we're, we're three, four months in. We have three or four SKUs on our website. This is pretty boring. Let's <laughs> build a craft spirit store. And let's try to be more of a hub where right now it's not the most exciting or robust. So that was the next iteration for Speakeasy Company. We built a craft liquor store and we got maybe 40 or 50 SKUs in there and we started seeing some success. Just orders for regular SKUs, even people not necessarily signing up for the subscription box. Okay, couple questions. And so, hold on, a couple questions. Yeah, please I, jump in. I love the story. Um, what came in the initial subscription box? What would a consumer get? A consumer would get two different recipes and enough ingredients to make both recipes twice. So it was to four total cocktails in each kit, and it included a video that was filmed with a bartender. It included very specific step-by-step -step instructions, like how long you should shake for. Is it a dry shake? Or is it not a dry shake? And that means whether there's ice. And all sorts of bartender tips and tricks, like I mentioned before, you slap the oil, I mean, excuse me, you slap the mint before using it as a garnish in a cocktail. Yeah. And that releases the oils to make it more fragrant. So we try to make it really fun and as if we were training future bartenders. And of course, all of the ingredients, whether uh, including the alcohol, the mixers, the tinctures, the fruit, anything and everything that you needed for the the cocktail, except the tools. That was a separate, we had a, a more expensive, like an upgraded first box that when you ordered it, you could get all of the tools that you would ever need in addition to the, the first couple cocktails. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, by the way, I hadn't heard the word tincture until I did a couple of cannabis podcasts the last couple of weeks, but... Um... <laughs> That's my own problem. Um, <laughs> I had no idea what a tincture is. I know. I'm embarrassed. Um, so anyway, so that's very cool. So then, yeah, if I had bought that, I'd be like, this is great. But I mean, I just drank all four tonight. I want like the bottle. And so you guys expanded to the bottle. So now explain and just, you know, we've covered this again on our other podcasts, but explain the three-tier distribution system and how you guys can do that. How can you distribute, you know, bottles of liquor kind of in your own way, direct to consumer. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And so the three tiers, the first tier are the brands. And unless you go in person to the distillery, for example, you, you don't have, the brands don't have the ability to sell direct to consumer. They sell to the second tier, the distributors, who then take the product from the brand and are the sales force for them to sell to bars, restaurants, and liquor stores, which are the third tier, where consumers purchase. And the challenge, if you're a brand, is you're entirely removed from the end customer transaction in a bar, restaurant, or liquor store. These brands have their bottle and label on a shelf or name on a menu, which is just not enough real estate to engage with consumers and educate them on what makes them different. And just outside of the alcohol industry, Startups and small brands tend to focus online where they have their social media, their website, their entire digital presence to tell that story and indoctrinate consumers and eventually convert them. 
The challenge in the alcohol space is alcohol brands can't sell direct to consumer. So the only outlet that has existed is through an online alcohol store, an online liquor store. And so that's what we initially created on our website was an online liquor store working with the proper license holders that we could actually ship. And ultimately, we were just trying to focus on these craft players. And once we built our craft liquor store, though, we we picked up our heads and we looked around and said, how are we better than any other online liquor store outside of our fairly unique and narrow focus? And the answer was, we're not. And it created a lot of challenges for these brands. They could drive traffic to our online liquor store or any online liquor store, but they had no control over the messaging, the pricing, the shipping costs. And most importantly, they didn't have access to any of the data. They were effectively building up someone else's e-commerce business by investing in clicks. Exactly. So, and back to your data background, and and that is absolutely the challenge for the, all of you that have your that have this idea that I'm going to go start a vodka company with your name or a cool, you know. Um, other liquor brand company, your your favorite rum flavor or whatnot. Um, it's not so easy because of that model. And it's also not easy to get the attention of these distributors because guess what? They've got a lot of brands coming at them, mid-sized brands and large brands with new concepts and new line extensions. And so it's it's not easy to get their attention and, and even get them to take on new brands to take out to retailers. Absolutely. These brands really didn't own their own, don't own their own destiny. They're reliant upon these other partners, these distributors, bars, restaurants, and liquor stores for the longevity of their company. And that has just got to be terrifying. Really, the only way to have influence over your, your outcome is to invest and pour millions of dollars into marketing, where you can invest in print and TV and get your brand in front of people enough time to alter their buying behavior. But if you're anything less than that size, which is most of these startup alcohol brands, they really didn't have an effective way to get off the ground. Amazing. So uh, fast forward a bit, you guys now handle the technology, the warehousing or fulfillment and whatnot to help increase reach, control, scalability of brands. And I was looking, you know, at some of your cool clients, 10th Mountain, 21 Seeds, Slow and Low, Whisper Pines, Horse Soldier. I mean, like some really cool, neat, new concept ideas. So how do you guys, like, what's your process? So someone has an idea and they come to you or they already have you know, some production set up and they come to you? Like, what does that look like now? The full spectrum. So we have brands or I guess entrepreneurs reaching out that are still in the concept phase. And then we also work with established brands that are distributed in either a couple states or even uh, nationally. And we're talking with larger and larger suppliers and brands on a daily basis. We initially got our feet wet with the early adopters, the, the most innovative and ones that are just trying to jump on. And those happen to be some smaller players initially. Wow. Now, 
what did growing the business look like? Initially, it was you and your wife talking about it. It's a neat idea. Why don't we make some cocktails and, and we'll talk to a bartender. But obviously, it's grown over time. So what does that look like in terms of you know you being a co-founder, um, bringing on a team or other individuals to help you grow the business? Yeah, I'll walk you through the, the last iteration and the last couple of years into our explosive growth in 2020. So we, we got the craft liquor store up there and we said, hey, we're, this really isn't a better offering than what already exists with online liquor stores. So the next iteration was for us to build dedicated landing pages on the Speakeasy website where we hid the navigation at the bottom of the page. It wasn't other products that consumers might be interested in. We wanted to give confidence and still confidence in our partners to invest resources to drive traffic to our website and control some of the messaging. And we started seeing even more success with this more custom white label approach. And truth be told, it was a potential partner that we were actually pitching the dedicated landing pages to that said, hey, Josh, rather than a dedicated landing page on your website, why don't you build us an entire website where we'll leverage your partnerships and the compliance layer and the fulfillment that you offer while we'll have access to all the tools, capabilities, and analytics as if we were selling direct to consumer? And that was really the eureka moment. And that happened at the end of 2017. And we got this first pilot off the ground um, late 2017, right out of the gate with a screaming success. And we wow. knew that we had something really special and much more scalable since it's B2B. And we just had to attract partners who would then bring their own marketing dollars to the platform to promote themselves. So... At the beginning of 2018, we made that firm pivot to shut down the subscription boxes and focus entirely on the direct-to-consumer platform that we have today. That's pretty and awesome. still a big gap, Justin. And thank you. And still a big gap from 2018 to 2020. And that's because it was a completely novel concept. And all of a sudden, we were no longer targeting consumers. We were now B2B focused. Right. And we didn't have much of a network. So 2018 was a, we're trying to figure it out, build our first generation solution, and get off the ground. And so we were able to get a couple brands to sign up in 2018. And um, in 2019, we got a few more to sign up. And we really started to pick up our momentum in summer of 2019. We were still probably at about 10 or so brands uh, summer 2019. But by the end of 2019, we were at 30 or 40. Wow. And that's when I decided that it was time to, to jump full time. <laughs> right. And actually, my business partner... Yeah, and actually, my business partner and co-founder, Michael Bowen, he was the first one to, to jump. He was working and collecting half a salary in 2019, and then he was the first one to go full-time in, in 2020. And uh, as you know, 2020, things changed quite considerably <laughs> around March. People are loving the direct-to-consumer model. <laughs> 
And all of a sudden, bars and restaurants shut down, and yep. the craft alcohol brands are disproportionately reliant upon the high-end restaurants and bars. And all of a sudden, nearly overnight, their main sales channel evaporated. And there we were already <laughs> screaming from the rooftops about the scalability of direct-to-consumer. Wow. And so we went from 30 brands in January, and now we're up to almost 170 partners today. That's unbelievable. Just for all of you that are trying to figure out the timing, we're in the last month or two of the year, and I mean, that's incredible growth. Um, so uh, that's, that's just awesome. Okay, how, what is the revenue model? How does that work for you guys? It's a SaaS model. So our partners pay a monthly subscription that's very, uh, it is not a high barrier to entry. It's very affordable. And what's great is we also are able to have a, a revenue stream from our liquor retail partners. And they right now are accustomed to really high margins. So if we're able to handle some of the marketing and drive a lot of traffic to them, we actually handle the fulfillment on their behalf. We're able to get the vast majority of our revenue from uh, the amount the retailers are typically taking. So there's not even an additional cost for the alcohol brand. Wow, that's pretty awesome. You, you've obviously gone through some amazing growth and, and challenges. And we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listening. What would be two or three lessons learned that you've experienced just in your time of getting the business started um, and, and just in managing the accelerated growth over the last year or two? Uh, biggest piece of advice that I have is to just launch. You have no idea where the market is going to take you. You don't want to spend too much time ideating and developing something. You want to get it into the market as quickly as possible and then let the consumer feedback or the market feedback shape the evolution of where you're going to go because you never know. You might launch as a craft cocktail subscription and end up as an e-commerce and fulfillment platform. And if we just spend tons and tons of time trying to build the most perfect craft cocktail subscription box and find the biggest warehousing partners and spend years doing that, we might have missed this incredible opportunity that we're currently riding. I love that one. And what was there, if, when you look at the challenges of building a true platform that's a SaaS model, I mean, what did that look like from a technology perspective versus the more operational perspective with you mentioned warehousing or fulfillment and whatnot? Yeah. So in terms of technology, another piece of advice is to build it as leanly as possible and leverage as much open source as possible. We, we definitely know of other players in the space that wanted to build something proprietary from the beginning and spend resources focusing on that while we just wanted to, again, get something that worked, maybe that we were embarrassed of, but at least worked to get <laughs> off the ground and then allowed our partners to dictate the direction we were going to head in and have them prioritize what was most important. So from a technology perspective, we, we leveraged something that was open source and then have just been customizing it and souping it up over time. Operationally, 
man, I had no idea what it was going to take to to manage a, a warehouse. That has been a absolute beast. When we <laughs> launched the the subscription box, it was handled by a liquor store because we were so small. But now working with a true 3PL and it, it's a lot. There are a ton of moving parts, and especially in the alcohol industry, we're working with the brands as our primary customer, but. To get products from the brands, we have to work with distributors and retailers. And then we have our customers, the brands, their customers. So there are just a ton of parties that we have to keep in, uh, involved and happy. Wow, it's amazing. Um, one last question is, you think about your growth and whatnot, what are the keys to keeping you growing? Is it word of mouth or is it more direct marketing? What does that look like for you guys? More word of mouth, I'd say. Since we're B2B, it's not as easy as a traditional direct-to-consumer company where we could just throw on some Facebook ads. We have right. a very specific right. niche that we're targeting, and it, we're, we're one of the first movers in the direct-to-consumer alcohol space. So alcohol brands aren't even necessarily searching for a solution. If there was more awareness, then they'd be searching for a solution, hopefully finding us. But we actually have to find a way to, to get in front of them. Uh, and that's going to be time-consuming and expensive. And so if you know anyone in the alcohol industry, please have them go to speakeasyco.com. I was just going to say, um, you've probably got some interesting people listening. How can they reach out to you? How they connect with you? How can they learn more about what you guys do? The website is probably the best place to go, speakeasyco.com. And then always feel free to reach out to me directly, josh at speakeasyco.com. Would love to connect and explore this together. It's a completely new space. And I'd love to hear whatever crazy ideas you might have. I love that. Dude, it's been so great having you on the podcast. You know, I was just about to close it up, but I just have to ask you one more question. You know, uh, as an analytics guy, how has that played into your role in building this business? Like, how, where has the data and analytics come in? That was really foundational to this whole idea. One of the largest challenges that brands face if they can't sell direct to consumer, that means they don't have any of this first party data. They're trying to build their business blind to who their consumers are. And that was really at the heart of what we were trying to correct. We're trying to empower the brands for the first time. And for us, or for me as a data scientist, that means the data. And historically, when brands have worked with an online liquor store, they have no access to Google Analytics or Facebook pixels or even just email addresses to monetize the lifetime value of a consumer and continue to own that relationship and remarket. And so for the first time, we are sharing, not just sharing, our brands own that data. The data that they generate is theirs. And their consumers are theirs alone. And so they're all of a sudden getting such rich information, which states are people buying from, male versus female, and different demographics and interests. So they're learning a lot about their customers for the first time. And then we have some really innovative partners that are saying, hey, rather than spending a ton of money developing one SKU and trying to push it across bars, restaurants, and liquor stores nationwide, 
I could just make a very small quantity of it, throw it up on my e-commerce website on the Speakeasy platform and get feedback very quickly. And so all of a sudden, they can save themselves a ton of money and reduce that innovation cycle significantly. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I mean, it's just, it feeds me because I love the combo of you being, you know, entrepreneur and, oh, by the way, a data analytics guy and, oh, by the way, in the space. So, dude, it's so great having you on the podcast. And don't gotta... forget, same birthday, too. I know, I know. Happy early birthday. Um, you got to come back on. I mean, you're definitely going great places. I can't wait to hear um, about what's next for you guys. I definitely want to have you back on down the road, man. I appreciate you coming on, Josh. Appreciate you having me, Justin. Have a great birthday tomorrow. <laughs> the Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.